spiritual living. She regularly speaks and conducts workshops and classes on meditation and transformational spirituality. I don't know, uh, I follow Reverend Laura on Facebook, and every Sunday for the last, I don't know, six or eight, she's been at a different center all up and down California. So she's been on a little California tour, and we're so grateful that she's here with us today. Colleen, Reverend Colleen Tanaka and Reverend Laura Hallett, Reverend Colleen's here in the front row with Reverend Laura, they have formed a focus ministry. It's in the process of getting all of its paperwork in order, but Awakening Mystics, Education for Transformation is their focus ministry. And Reverend Laura's teaching at the School of Spiritual Leadership at the LA campus and the San Diego campus. And we are blessed to have her with us today. So put your hands together for Reverend Laura Hallett. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for inviting me here, Reverend Debbie. This, this is honestly the, my most favorite place in the world. Uh, for the last nine out of ten years, I have come here as a, on a spiritual journey, and um, this Monterey Peninsula is just like heaven to me. So when she asked me in February if I could come, she goes, I don't know if it's awful far for you. And I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> a reason to come here and, and to do what I love to do while I'm here is just an amazing thing for me. So I'm very grateful for, for the invitation to come here and to be able to share what I love to do with you. So my talk is um, entitled, Excavating Your Hidden Treasure. And this is based on an Ernest Holmes quote, which says, um, it is through tapping into the spiritual wisdom, that hidden treasure that resides within me, that uplevels my life and the lives of those around me. So up-leveling my life has been a big focus in my life in the last 13 years since I, since I found religious science in, uh, 19, in 2005. Um, up-leveling my life, up-leveling my personal relationships, and then I found that added benefit of the people that are around me have their lives up-leveled too, just by being around me changing. You know how it is. If I change what I'm thinking, the people around me change too. It's just kind of interesting how it all works out that way. So about um, three, yeah, about three years ago, I found a practice that absolutely changed everything, and that's what I'm going to be doing the workshop on today and so forth. But let me kind of give you a little background about that. When we look at this idea of this hidden treasure, this hidden treasure that Ernest Holmes calls our spiritual wisdom, if we look at all of the spiritual texts, you know, all of the ancient texts from most of the faith traditions really are meant to be taken in a metaphor. They're not meant to be taken literally. And so when we look at those, every single one of them mentions in some way a hidden treasure. They may call it a jewel or a pearl or even use the words hidden treasure themselves. But all of them have this idea. And again, if we take it as a metaphor, what does that mean to us? If we look at the Christian scriptures in the parables um, that Jesus gave um, on the Sermon on the Mount, there are two of them that actually talk about that. One is called the parable of the hidden treasure, and then the other one's the parable of the pearl of great price. And so he equates both of those things. The hidden treasure is like the kingdom of heaven. The hidden treasure is like the kingdom of heaven. That the man, when he found it, sold everything that he had so that he could buy the land where the hidden treasure was found. And in the parable of the pearl of great price, again, it's a merchant wants to buy this pearl. And so he's, he's willing to give everything that he owns to get this pearl. And again, Jesus is saying this pearl is like the kingdom of heaven. This hidden treasure is like the kingdom of heaven. Also in the um, New Testament, it, 
at the end of the New Testament, there's a mention of jewels there too. They talk about these 12 jewels that form the foundation of the new temple of Jerusalem. These 12 jewels, each jewel represents one of the apostles, and each one of those apostles represents a quality, like compassion, like wisdom, like peace, like love. And each one of those jewels then symbolizes one of those qualities. And if we go back to the Hebrew scriptures, the very beginning of the Bible, there's the same 12 jewels. The very same 12 jewels are found on the breastplate of Joshua that he wears as he's leading the tribe of Israel after the death of Moses. He's leading the tribe of Israel. And each one of those jewels represents one of the 12 tribes. And each one of those 12 tribes is also represented by one of these qualities of love, peace, compassion, unity, these ideas. And so all throughout the Christian scriptures and the, and the Judea scriptures, we find references to these hidden treasures or these gems, these jewels, these pearls of great price. It's also found in the, Hebrew, in the Hindu and Buddhist traditions in an idea called Indra's net. Indra's net is a net that encompasses the entire universe. And where the, you know how a net connects together, with a little, like a little joint in between each one? Where each one of those joints is, is a jewel. And each one of those jewels represents an individual consciousness. And so these individual consciousnesses surround the entire universe. That's what the universe is made up of, this idea of Indra's net. Again, it's a jewel, something that we actually think of might be a tangible, valuable thing, but it's representing a spiritual idea. Also in the Buddhist scriptures, there's um, the idea of the three jewels of Buddha. And the three jewels of Buddha are not diamonds, rubies, and, and emeralds. They're compassion, humility, and frugality. Also in Buddhism, they talk about, so we have the three jewels of Buddha, and then we have the three jewels of Buddhism. The three jewels of Buddhism are Buddha, the teacher, Dharma, the teachings, and Sangha, the community. And again, so this jewel that we're looking for, this hidden treasure, is not that money, that monetary thing, but it's these spiritual ideas that can uplevel our lives. They even have them in, in um, the Quran, in Islam. They talk about the 12 jewels of Islam, and they are things like wisdom, understanding, freedom, peace, love, harmony. Those are the jewels of Islam. And so each one of these spiritual texts, all the way through these eclectic versions of different faith traditions, are talking about the same idea, the spiritual wisdom that they describe as a hidden treasure. And so my goal has been to find that hidden treasure, to find that spiritual wisdom, and then to find a way I can use it in my life. So um, I found in my, in my practice, I started off in this faith, what attracted me originally was meditation. I had never really experienced much meditation before, and that was kind of intriguing to me. I thought, well, maybe this will work. And so um, I began with meditation practices. And early on in my meditation practice, my insights usually came through what is commonly called a two-by-four moment. That moment when you feel like you've been slapped upside the head with a two-by-four. I don't know if you've ever felt it. That physical, It's actually a physical hit that comes through. And so, so sometimes that can be really, really disturbing. I was uh, in a meditation early on. It was like, I don't know, I had only been at the church about three or four months. And I was working with a group of people, and we called it um, body issues. We weren't talking about weight loss or anything like that, but we were talking about body issues. So we were working on this group. We're doing this meditation. We're guided, being guided through the meditation. 
And um, I don't even know what the facilitator said. I have no idea at this moment. But all of a sudden, in, the, in this um, meditation, I have one of these two-by-four moments, and I feel like I've been hit upside the head. And all of a sudden, I realized I've spent the last 45 years eating my anger. It was shocking to me. It was shocking to me to come to that realization and then to see, oh, well, yeah, there it is. But it, was, it hit me with so hard, with such a force, that I was hoping that maybe we could find a little more gentle way of doing that. But as I progressed on my path, I, um, <laughs> I don't know if it happens to anybody else, but it seems like the more, sometimes the more I study something, the more disturbed my life gets. So, so this, the second way I found things happen to me is what the mystics call the dark night of the soul. When you are in that place where you can do absolutely nothing but surrender. When, when things have, you, I don't know, I hadn't, I hadn't felt like I'd hit rock bottom, but it was like there was nothing left for me to do. I had tried everything. Everything was, um, it, it was such a traumatic time in my life at that point that I felt like I was in that darker night of the soul. The, one of the big examples that comes to me is uh, my brother was um, diagnosed, he was 50 years old at the time, and he was diagnosed with a very aggressive brain tumor. And so he was in the last couple of weeks of his life. Um, and I'm at work one day, and um, my job, I worked in an elementary school as a computer specialist, so I would go around to different rooms doing different things. And, and I was um, walking around, and I, I absolutely couldn't function. There was this physical thing going on in my body that my, I was just, like, I felt like I was in another place. I was like, things were, like I was lightheaded, and things were dizzy, and it was, I couldn't function. But I felt really silly going to my principal and saying, I have to go home because things are fuzzy around me, you know, it just didn't make any sense. So I went back into my office, and I turned out the light, and I closed the door, and I thought, I said to myself, I said, God, I'm just going to sit here until, until something happens, because I can't do anything else. And I just surrendered to the moment. And it didn't feel like it was very long. It, it might have been 10 minutes, it might have been two minutes, I have no idea. But very clearly I heard, there is no pain, there is no suffering, there's only peace. And I was totally transformed at that moment by that, that voice that came through. But just getting myself into that place, and because I could do nothing else, all I could do was surrender and allow the voice to be heard. Now, both these ways are great, and both these ways will give you wonderful insight. But neither one of them are very gentle, at least not in my experience. They, feel, they, you know, they, they really cause an uproar within me. So I set about trying to find a way to do it a little more gently. And that was to actively seek this, um, this spiritual wisdom, to actually go out and seek it, to ask questions and, and see what gets revealed through that process for me. I found it um, beneficial to do that in, in prayer, in treatment work when we were doing that together. But, but I needed something a little bit more. And um, I'm kind of a creative person. I never thought of myself as an artist, so I never was into drawing. That was, I, you know, I'm crafty. I could do all kinds of crafts, you know. <laughs> I, I can cake decorate with the best of them. Quilt and uh, scrapbook and all that other stuff. But to draw or paint, that wasn't my thing. And so I was really hesitant at first. But I thought, I went to a women's retreat up in um, Mendocino County. Um, Sisters, no, it was called Women's Spirit. Women's Spirit Retreat. And at that retreat, they did a workshop called Zen Tangles. If you've ever heard of Zen Tangles or not, it's a drawing meditative process. 
And the, the premise of the, of the um, creators of Zentangles is that you can do anything one stroke at a time. I thought, well, okay, I can make a stroke at a time. I can do that. So I, I participated in the workshop, and it was fun, and I enjoyed it. And that was in um, September, and I went home and put it aside and never looked at it again until that following February. And I don't remember exactly what happened that made me think about it, but I was ordering something on Amazon, which is, I live kind of in a rural area outside of Las Vegas, so Amazon is my friend. I order everything. So um, I was, anyway, something came up about Zentangles, and I thought, oh, I remember that from the workshop. And so I ordered this book, and um, the pens I needed and the little artist tiles to, um, to do the, the process with. And um, I got the stuff in a couple days later, and just uh, thought, well, let me try this. And so I did the first one, and this, I thought, okay, this is really cool. I really enjoyed that time that I spent in the quiet and, and doing this process. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes to do it. And I, f I felt very peaceful. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to commit to doing this one a day and see what happens for it. And so I did that. And um, what I found was um, these people had too many rules for me. I usually consider myself to be pretty much of a rule follower, but they were saying all this stuff, you know. It's like, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and it has to be this, and it has to, and I'm like, this isn't working for me. And I had drawn this one little um, doodle that reminded me of, a, like, a sunflower. It looked very much like a sunflower. And so I started um, working with that idea, and, I, and then I started putting in all kinds of things, and I gave myself permission to make it look like a sunflower, because that was one of the rules, is it shouldn't look like anything. And um, so I gave myself permission to do that, and so things started shifting in there. And one day, I was um, doing my drawing, and I thought, wow, this looks like a mandala. You know, you, I tell you, I was thrilled to see all these mandalas in this place. This is amazing to me. I thought, this is, this is right. This is where I'm supposed to be, with all these beautiful mandalas up here. Um, and then I realized, oh, a mandala is a spiritual tool. It's a tool to help you gain insight and wisdom. And so I started drawing these mandalas, and everything about it shifted. Everything about that. I can take a question and ask, it, ask a question as I'm starting this process, and almost every time I get a very clear answer about it. One day, um, as I said before, I was um, the first thing I started with was this body image thing. And so I was always working on my weight. And doctors had been telling me for years that I needed to have bariatric surgery. And um, I said, no, no, I don't need to do that. And so I, I, I don't know, I, I, everything, I've tried everything. So I'm sitting there with one day and I thought, well, okay, what is my resistance to having this surgery? And so I took that question into my meditation. And it was very quick, very quick. Well, you think you should be smart enough not to have to do that. You should be spiritual enough not to have to do that. You should have enough willpower not to have to do that. And then right on the tail of that came, well, isn't that a fine way to beat yourself up? So the next day I made the call. Three months later I had the surgery. I've lost 105 pounds. So that's, you know, it's, it's really been helpful for me with that. So um, that was one example of it. I have done it through many different things that I've um, worked with is to, to actively go out and seek one of the, one, sometimes when I'm doing it though, and I'm doing this process, the information comes to me very clearly without me asking for it. 
um, in early December, this past December, I was doing a, my meditation in the morning. I do this every single morning. And um, all of a sudden, it, I just heard in my, in my meditation, you need to wear ties. And I thought, okay. <laughs> it's kind of out of the blue, but all right. And so I just sat with it. I thought, I'm not doing anything about that right now. So I just sat with it. And as I want to do, because I'm a total computer geek, I got on the internet and started researching things about ties, wearing ties, women wearing ties, and so forth. And, um, and then I went to Amazon and I started ordering ties. So <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, um, and so the day that I put the tie on, it was Christmas, so I got a Christmas tie. So the day that I put the tie on and I wore it to church the first time, I stepped into what I call an unapologetic confidence about myself that has totally transformed my life. As Reverend Debbie said, I've been speaking. I've actually only been home five Sundays all year long. Other than that, I have been somewhere all over the Southwest speaking, Arizona, Utah, um, Nevada, and here in California. I still have a couple more. Next weekend, I'm in Tucson. And then after that, I'm going to be in Riverside doing a practitioner retreat and speaking. And as she said, that things are just like popping like crazy in my life because I stepped out as who I felt like I needed to be. And it all came through this process. I call my workshop Accessing Your Inner Wisdom Through Creative Mindfulness. And I call it Creative Mindfulness because that's what it is. It's mindfulness. Mindfulness is a meditation practice where you are fully present with whatever it is you're doing. And so in this practice... As we're making each single stroke, that stroke, anything, one stroke at a time, as we're doing that, we stay fully present with that single stroke before we go on to the next stroke. And it's creative, of course, that speaks for itself because you manage to draw these amazing, beautiful creations, these mandalas. And so for me, this has been a completely transformative way of being, this idea of finding that inner wisdom, tapping into it in a way that works for me, and allowing it to transform my life and the lives of people around me. It's really fascinating to watch what happens as it unfolds in my life. And so that's what my workshop is on this afternoon. It's going to be, I'm going to teach you the process. You'll actually complete two mandalas in the two hours. One of them we'll, we'll do step by step, and then the next one you're going to be able to do on your own. I have a whole mandala mini mall of, of things that I've created with that. It started with, um, someone said, well, you need to make a coloring book out of this because, you know, adult coloring books are so popular right now. And so I started with the coloring book and things have just really blossomed from there. So um, if you're interested, stop and see our mini mall there. Um, and, you know, stay for the workshop. It's going to be, well, I love this. I, I love teaching it. Um, people really seem to really enjoy this. Even people who have absolutely no artistic skills. Like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't draw anything. I didn't want to paint anything. I didn't want to draw anything because I couldn't make it look nice. So I didn't want to do it. And so um, this is just, I would have never ever, Reverend Deverid said in my intro, I'm an author and an artist. That took a heck of a lot for me to put that on my resume, that I was an artist. That was like, oh, this is stepping out there and claiming it. And that's what I feel like I've been able to do through this process. So I hope you stay and enjoy, uh, come and have the, enjoy the workshop with us this afternoon. We're doing it on a love, love offering basis. And then if you're interested, check out my mini mall. I've got cards and magnets and coasters and bags and kits and all kinds of stuff over there. So, 
Thank you so much for having me here. It's been truly a pleasure, and I look forward to those of you that are staying and doing the workshop with me. Thank you.